0: now who's going to come and share with us. And we want to just pray for Katie. Give Katie a great big hand. Let me get that for you. So this, as many of you know, we've been kind of announcing it. This is kind of Katie's last uh, Sunday on as vocational staff here on staff and family's not going anywhere. and We're excited and she's going to share a bit about that and just kind of lead us today. We're taking a pause from our series Living in Christ and Katie's going to really, it's great. I, I got to listen to the walkthrough. It's going to be wonderful. So but we wanted to take a moment and just pray for Katie and what God has for her future, her family, her life in, in this moment before we jump in. All right, will you do me a favor? Just close your eyes with me. Lord, we are grateful for the faithfulness of Katie. We're grateful for her leadership and her wisdom. We're grateful, Lord, for her love for this church, for this community. We're grateful for all the sacrifices that she's made over these 13 years to lead, to serve well with integrity, Father. And so we ask as she enters into this next season of life, This next call that you have for her, that you would guide and direct, that, Lord, the best days are ahead in terms of her gifts and her talents. There's so many there, Lord. Pray that that there would be a wonderful influence for her voice to be found. We are grateful that her and her family are still a part of our church and that she will be present, influencing, and leading in unique ways in this next season. So Lord, now open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to what you would have to speak to us through her in these next moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Do me a favor, grab your talk notes, open up your heart, and be ready for what God has. Thanks, Katie.
1: Hey, good morning and welcome everyone. It is so good to see you here in the auditorium. I, I pinch myself every time we get to gather in person. Is anyone else still pinching themselves when we get to do something that for a long while we weren't able to do and we're especially grateful because we haven't gotten over it yet? I love it when that gratitude feeling keeps lingering as uh, Ryan said, my name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. I'm going to be stepping out of employment here at Crossroads, but I just want to say I'm still me. I'm still your neighbor, Katie. Um, my favorite thing about our church, I usually don't do favorites because there are just too many good things. You know, how do you rank blessings? Um, but my favorite, it, it's head and shoulders above the other things and that's that we are a community church. From the beginning, from the first time I stepped into the Crossroads Atrium, which was at that time uh, the the cafeteria at Loveland High School, and just got to be on a Sunday with community members that I see all over the community all week long, people who were teaching in my children's schools, administrators in the public school system, Uh, the people who deliver are male. Uh, It's the Sesame Street thing, right? Who are the people in your neighborhood, the people that you see each day? And Crossroads has been that kind of diversity for me as a community church. And I don't mean to exclude those of you who might be listening online or you live in the UK or Texas or whatever. You have your own version of that, but Crossroads has been that here for me. So I've so appreciated that. And that is about all of us. And I am so grateful that when I have to go through some of this loss and grief of letting go of a role that's been very important to me, I'm so grateful that that part of my life with all of you will continue. So thank you for that. Did you know that it's Women's History Month? Oh, good. I'm glad there's some people cheering. It's Women's History Month. It's the 27th of March. Women's History Month is almost over. Can we take just a moment? I have some photos here of some women making history. So let's put that first photo up. I think you're gonna know almost all of these women. Do you know this lady? Yeah, that's my friend, my colleague, Aisha Thomas. She has served on our church council as the chairperson. She's still on the council. She uh, was the first black person to serve as a principal in the Pooter School District. I'm not exactly sure um, how much between 10 years and 20 years Aisha has been serving as a principal in the district, but um, she has a legacy there. If you want to read about that, there's a a, a current article in the Colorado one, and you can read about Aisha's legacy of leadership in our school district there in Fort Collins. She's stepping out of that role for a new adventure, kind of like what I'm doing right now, but we celebrate her. She's made history. Okay, next photo. Uh, You might not know this woman, maybe only a handful of us in the room. This is Tammy swanson Dreheim. And Tammy has been selected to be the next president of the Evangelical Church denomination. That's a denomination of about 2,000 fellowships, and Tammy will be the first woman to serve in that role in about 200 years of the organization's existence. So she's making history. First president. Okay, next woman. Oh, she's getting political here. Oh, no, no. Don't you know the Supreme Court is not political at all? <laughs> it's a shelter from politics. Politics can't touch the integrity of this court. Anyway, uh, this is Judge Katanji Brown Jackson and barring some uh, very unusual activity, she's going to be the next Supreme Court justice appointed to the court in the United States. Making history, right? Let's hear it for her. And what about this young lady? Next photo, this young lady, do you know who this is? This is Sedona Prince. And a year ago, she started history. She, she started a, a movement pretty big. She had a creative breakthrough. She posted a TikTok video that went viral showing the disparity and the inequity between men's NCAA basketball and the women's. And she got the attention of a ton of people. And a whole bunch of people got in on that conversation. Lots of changes have been made. So. Uh, Women's History Month, thank you for those photos, tech team. Um, and I, personally, I, I'm honored to have served as the first female clergy person to serve in a pastoral role here at Crossroads Church. We're 25 years old. I'm glad. And I just, I recognize I, 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 am, a bit of, I am a pioneer. I like pioneering. I don't mind going first, even when it goes really badly. I, I don't mind. So um, it's been a joy to be in that role, and thank you for all of that. It's a hard field, um, being a woman clergy person. It is a hard field. If you look at the statistics, about 50% of our um, professional church workers who lead programs, ministries, that kind of thing in churches, about 50% are female these days, but only about 10% of us are clergy serving in pastoral roles where we're making decisions and sitting on boards and those kinds of things. So. It's a hard field, and we have a ways to go. So I decided, in honor of Women's History Month, I would teach a passage that is related to women's history in the Christian faith, and which is instructive to this congregation, all congregations, for our all people, for our spiritual growth. So let's enter into that lesson. It comes out of Matthew chapter 15, and that passage is printed at the top of your program notes. If you are using that piece of paper or looking at that, online, and it'll be on the screens here. I'm just gonna read the passage from Matthew 15. It's a story. Jesus and the disciples have been traveling. It says, Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now let me stop there for just a moment and clarify She's referring to what is afflicting her child as a demon. It's most likely mental illness of some type that's manifesting in a behavioral way. This child spins out frequently and can't get hold of themselves. That's most likely what it is. It's probably a cognitive disability that's manifested in behavioral things, and we all have children in this place in our lives, so that's likely what this woman is experiencing. So verse 23, reading on. Oh, so the woman shouts out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. And she said, yes, Lord, yet. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith, and let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. So this passage functions... In our scriptures as a short story. It's about a woman who insisted on receiving God's universal care despite the obstacles she ran into with Jesus and his disciples and it is a good story and it's got some good problems in it. Every good story needs a problem and this one is packed with problems. What I just read is only the half of it There's a backstory full of problems, so there's a history here. So we wanna back up, first of all, in this lesson and look at the history of of what gets us to this point in the story, the backstory. And I'm calling it, in the heading in your notes, the history of all. And what I mean by all, the title of the message is the power of all, all is a code word for inclusion. You guys get it? Like if we said the power of, One, the power of one, we mean, it's code for unity, right? The power of people coming together. This is the power of all. So let's look at the history of all, of inclusion. And the first thing we have to know in the backstory, this is just kind of, I think, pretty much a fact, and that's that healthy human beings will learn to care in stages. We learn the art of caring, or we move toward universal caring in stages. It's the way we grow up. Individuals and groups. So the first stage is self-care. We learn to take care of ourselves. Sadly, some people never move beyond taking care of themselves, but most people will move beyond to group care or family care, where we're willing to take care of our own people. We're willing to be at least that selfless. But the third stage where God wants all of us to be and where God, God's self actually is, is the stage of universal care where we're willing to care for other people's people. Does that make sense? Three stages of care. Now, we need to know that the Jewish people were once entrenched in the second stage, stage two group care. They were entrenched there. So the way that some Americans and Europeans believe in white supremacy, they believed in Jewish supremacy. They were the chosen people, identified with that as their name, but they interpreted that chosenness, not as chosen to further the power of all, God's vision, but as the number one human group. And anyone outside the group was then considered inferior, and they usually would not talk to such a person or even touch this person. They did have a superiority complex, we could call it, and God has to heal them of it. We can look at two additional readings that are typically paired with the study of this passage, and in that we see how God is trying to move the nation of Israel beyond, beyond, little by little beyond this racism, if that's what we want to call it, this sexism, if that's what we want to call it. So God is patiently moving humankind beyond exclusion, and we see this not only in this account in Matthew, we see it in many, many other places in our Bible, a couple of prominent ones that I'll just bring up. Isaiah chapter 56, attributed to this poet, prophet, personality, whom we call Isaiah and was probably several people combined together with this line of thinking that's, it's beautiful and outstanding. But the prophet Isaiah then reports in God's voice that even the foreigners themselves, who join themselves to the Lord, them I will bring to my holy mountain. So to these chosen people, God is breaking them out of the exclusion and saying even the foreigners are to be included. It's one of the first movements we see in the awakening of universal inclusion and care in the family of God. But it's a long row to hoe because most people will not move beyond their own group, their own nation, their own religion, and this includes most of us, does it not? It's hard, because humanity and culture have trained us to be like this. We're trained to love our neighbor, love our family, love our children, love ourselves, but not love so much your enemy. That's why Jesus had to teach dramatically along these lines. We're in some ways taught to hate, fear our enemies. Then the final line in this Isaiah passage that I bring up is the voice of God saying, "My house shall be called a house of prayer for all." So a couple of Bible students in the room know exactly the next word in that phrase. "My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. How many of the peoples? All the peoples. So this is God's vision and we want to focus our attention on the word all. Now we'll notice how it's used in Romans chapter 11. So this is, you know, 2,500 years plus since the Isaiah thinking was going on and those ideas were being written down. And we can see how it takes a long time for even the inspired Bible writers to think in terms of all. They're human beings, and humans think in terms of we, our group. We can misinterpret the things God is saying and doing because we are locked in on we. In the 11th chapter of Romans, Paul makes it clear, I am speaking to you Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the non-Jews. Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Matthew, who records this story we're studying, was a Jew. But now Paul sees himself as extending the benefits of the gospel beyond Judaism to the whole world. And this makes him famous. This is why he becomes such an important figure. He's preaching for all. You and I, unless we are Jewish, are Gentiles. We would have been considered inferior people, lost, not eligible for any, certainly not most, and the best of the mercies of God and the blessings of God. We would be considered outsiders. The book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult work. It's a difficult message to understand. But if you'll allow me, this is the gist of Romans chapter 11. The Gentiles are going to receive mercy just as much as the Jews. For God delivered all of us, all have rebelled against God's law of love, and God has already shown mercy to all. So we see that from the Old Testament prophets, first awakening to all through Jesus onto Paul, the concept of universal caring is increasing. And with the arc of this history in mind, we find ourselves at the Gospel we read today where the Canaanite woman makes history. And she makes history by holding Jesus Messiah accountable to all. That's her function in the story. She holds Jesus accountable to all. And this story is supposed to upset you a little bit. I hope it did. Because Jesus, our model in this story, appears not to be saying all. In fact, he appears to, for a moment, he appears not to be in league with all, but instead with the racism and the sexism of his own culture. See, the Canaanites were the group of people that the Jews fought for centuries. And I'm sorry to say, they were like dogs to them. That's just reality. Inferior human beings who could be labeled as as dogs doesn't even work as well in our culture. I mean, dogs have status. Have you noticed that? Dogs are awesome. Like, people have multiple dogs. And these dogs have... I was getting... I, I shouldn't get off the script. I, <laughs> last, <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting on the train for DIA. You know, the doors are closing. And for the first time ever, and I've flown a lot, my roller bag got caught in the door. I'm jerking on it, and my, my laptop is part of all this. It barely got in, and my heart was racing like crazy. Next thing, uh, they must have shortened the time that they give you. They're in a hurry, because the next thing is this woman is getting off, and she had, a, she had a roller bag, and on the top of hers was a little doggy carrier, and she, like, she cursed, because the doors hit that, and the little doggy carrier went down, and people were rushing to show mercy. I mean, that's all, right? Dogs have status these days, not in that day, not in that day. And dogs should have status, by the way. I'm not complaining. All creatures, all creatures, great and small. Um, But inferior human beings can be labeled as dogs, as in this case, also just as monstrous or evil. I just want to give an example. I think that's the kind of um, labeling, stereotyping, and fear. That's, that's out there against the Chinese people in our day right now. Just depicting people as not human or groups of people as not worthy of being considered human, as inferior. And if we're not careful because of what's going on, we could do that to Russian people. And that's not in the spirit of all, not one little bit. That's not part of God's vision. And we learn this racism from our family and our culture, basically. No one is born hating Black and brown bodies, looking down on black and brown bodies is a warped way of thinking which some unconscious group or person must teach you. Doesn't come from how we're made. And then when a whole group starts to agree to the segregation and the judgments, it's very hard to resist it and to rise above the thinking. When everyone seems to agree to a racialized and sexualized, genderized separateness. When everyone's saying it, it's just human nature to think they must be right. Or a better way of putting it would just leave thinking out of it, because I don't think thinking really has to do with it. It's an unconscious, deep assumption. I grew up in a non-denominational community church, and we thought we were the best church. And you know, it's okay to feel amazing about your church. I hope you feel that you're part of an amazing, even if you want to feel best, it's just best. But where you get into the problem is, is when you did what I, what we did, we felt sorry for other groups. It's like a degrading kind of sympathy. We felt sorry for the Mormon kids. We felt sorry for the Catholic kids. We felt sorry for the liberal Protestants, uh, the wrong types of Presbyterians. Is that the good Presbyterian or bad? that you're part of crazy craziness right um we we even looked down on those that were more conservative than our church because maybe they wouldn't let their kids wear stylish clothes or date or something like that like we were the perfect center of all that and I still remember when I first woke up to this madness it was such first there was some discomfort and then it was such a joy-filled experience we used to invite all of our neighbors Um, When we'd have a barbecue or something like that for for one of our kids' birthdays, we'd also invite our church friends. So our church friends knew our cul-de-sac and some of the other neighbors even outside the cul-de-sac. All these people knew each other. And I once made the mistake of sharing what I thought was really, really great news about one of these neighbors with one of my church friends. And the good news was, was that Jim, our neighbor, had decided to go through Catholic catechism, the adult program. It's very rigorous really good. And then the culmination of all that is to be baptized on Holy Saturday night at like midnight. They baptize the new converts into the church. It's an amazing, moving uh, worship service. Anyway, I I remember just kind of waking up when my church friends were disappointed that that was happening because they thought, well, they wanted Jim to join our church. Be baptized at our church. You know, and I get that. I get it. But I still have the picture in my mind of all the people that were there for Jim's baptism. It was our cul-de-sac, full families, two whole rows at St. John's watching him be baptized, celebrate. And that's when I think it like clicked for me. No, this is all universal inclusion. Oh, everyone in my cul-de-sac was for Jim and he was for everyone in the cul-de-sac. But the exclusion story is sad and it it persists in every age. That's how Europeans were and are able to treat Native um, North Americans the way that we did and do. um, Thinking of our neighbors, our siblings, in Christ, The spirit of Christ that's been present in this universe forever and ever, amen. Thinking we're superior to these poor native peoples who are pagans. It's just like how Jesus initially spoke to this woman. It's what it's like. And so, yes, my my opinion is that culturally conditioned racism and sexism doth come out of the mouth of the Messiah. I think that's what we see happen right here. And God help her, she stands up to Jesus. I mean, she's humiliated, yes, but she's not paralyzed with shame. And she comes right back at the Son of God and says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What a creative response, huh? So creative. And Jesus, who at first acts out of stage two conditioning, immediately self-corrects, in effect apologizes, says you're right and I'm wrong. And for a Jew to apologize to a Gentile, unthinkable, for a male to apologize to a woman, unthinkable, because it was a totally patriarchal culture, and patriarchy persists in our day, it has been this way since the beginning of recorded history or since people have been writing down their thoughts about this, and God must heal us of it. Masses of individuals and institutions function as though men are privileged in God's eyes. It's a deep assumption for most, if not all, cultures, and Jesus breaks from it right here. And so Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter received care. Her daughter received care. So we review the history real quickly here that individuals and cultures, we grow up similarly in these stages. First, we learn how to care for ourselves. And then we move most people to the second stage of being willing to care for our family or our group. This is the group Jesus is usually preaching to, the Jews who love the Jews. And then sadly, only a minority of human beings move into full conversion. This universal care idea that we're all created equally in God's image. And the only basis for loving anyone, including myself or my own family or this church right here, is that we know we're all equally children of God. We have no basis for loving anyone or receiving any kind of love without the all. There's no basis for it, no basis. And so we must know that every time we label people, every time you label people in your mind, You are not seeing. That's a Jesus principle, and it's a big one. Every time we label people as higher or lower or in or out or Protestant or Catholic or Muslim or Jew, we are not seeing. And we're not seeing two things. We're not seeing the truth of God's vision, this vision for all that I just showed the history of. We're not seeing that. We're not remembering what it is or we never knew about it. We're not seeing it. And we're not seeing the one life, capital O-N-E, capital L-I-F-E, one life, God's life, that births and undergirds and sustains and cares for all. Because when we see truthfully, we know that those distinctions mean nothing to God. Nothing. It's all over scripture. We know it in our hearts to be true. The distinctions are all created by culture. And we're seeing very sadly in our day that culture is still blind. We're all on this learning stages thing. And then we, church people, who have good news, we in that sense are in danger of being blind guides because we have some power and some influence in representing God's story. So siblings in Christ, unless we grow up and learn to observe tragic egocentricity and observe our own psychological health, help one another move along to greater mercy. We cannot build a healthy culture. You can't be a leader who can build a healthy work team, a parent building a healthy family, a pastor building a healthy church. Darren Williams would tell us that you can't build a healthy 10,000 person Facebook group called Lovelanders. Unless you get this, right? Because it's all over. We we have to be able to observe ourselves, we have to be able to stand up for each other when we're asking for mercy. It's the only way, it's the only way NATO will work and be successful. But the good news is that we are the blessed people who have been called, not just to group care, family care, but to a universal kind of caring, universal love and acceptance, that's called the gospel. That's what it is. All right, so that's the history of all. I mean, that's it. Our part in the continuing story, this is how we can apply this to our lives, okay? And the moral of this story, it's a story with moral, that's for sure, that's why Matthew put it there. The moral of this story is discovered in the character's problems. I mean, that's kind of typical in good stories. That's how we learn. And we can have all these problems at one time. Isn't that great news? (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to just pick one or you pick two. We can have all these problems, and they cycle through us. They do. first, the first characters with a problem are the disciples. And their problem is that they rush to dismiss. They rush to dismiss the woman. They're just beginners in the adventure of faith. They're excited to be on mission. The the history of all is not on their mind. just isn't. They're caring for their group. It's made up of Jewish Jesus followers. They're obsessed with the mission. They're obsessed with evangelizing the larger group of people, bringing the lost sheep of Israel back into the fold for all the benefits that Jesus is here to give them. They're obsessed with that. they're, uh, They're unconscious as to the true nature of God, at least in this moment they are. They're unconscious to a vital aspect of their own faith, all. Unconscious as to the true nature of their own souls, how easily they can be blind. They're not bad. They just can't see, so there's some blindness there. But what they lack in awareness, they make up for in enthusiasm. They're, co- they're committed to a cause. They function in the story as Jesus' posse. That's kind of their little role there, right? We can all get caught up in the bandwagon posse of faith or any other cause. That's where they're sitting at this moment. And I would say they're worried also about the cross. They're worried about the cross, and this worry is so deep that what they need, and here's the application, they need to pay attention. Take a deep breath and pay attention. They're worried about the cross. This movement that Jesus is leading is getting out of hand Violent people are entering into the movement by force. People are attaching themselves to it that don't even really understand what it is. It's getting out of hand, and it's going to become political insurrection, and the Romans crucify insurrectors. I mean, that's basically, you know, it's kind of a big worry. I'd be worried if I was part of a movement like that. But the application for us is what are we worried about? I think money is... A lot of times, at the top of a list that makes us lose our minds, expand that out a little bit. It's the economy, the gas prices, the interest rates, political power, who's got it? Can our money worries, our economy worries get fixed? I mean, we know it's the biggest worry in any election is the economy, political power, those kinds of things. We worry about our parenting. I worry about my email inbox. You know, I can be an unconscious person and act like, you know, get away from me. I've got too much to do kind of a thing. Worries are obsessive thoughts, which cause negative and also, like, false positive emotions. Like bandwagon, getting energized by bad things happening. I mean, you know, it's adrenaline. It's not actually a positive emotional state. It will take you out of reality, and true life is in reality. True life is where the action is. So the trick for the disciples, and when we find ourselves this way, is to catch ourselves and rejoin life. Pay attention. Okay, the second character, that's the disciples. They need to pay attention. The second character is Jesus. And his problem is at first he rejects her appeal. He rejects her appeal because he understands his mission to be to the Jews. He's not bad, we know that. Jesus is focused and disciplined. He's loyal to a cause. He's not worried about the cross, but he has some deep assumption going on. And then his assumption is abruptly questioned by her insistent petition, help me! (laughs) But he doubles down to protect the assumption. He utilizes this imagery of children and dogs. Children are Jews, dogs are Gentiles. And he suggests that the gifts of God that he carries are reserved for his chosen ethnic group. I mean, she may have just like looked up at him and said, what? <laughs> Excuse me? And Jesus, you know, he's a, he's a bachelor. He's not married. He doesn't live with a woman. He doesn't know that when a woman says what, it's not that she can't hear you. She's giving you a chance to change your mind, right? It's code for I'll give you a little more time before I sock it to you, before I give you what for. And then she comes right back at him. She rejects his answer. And using his imagery and accepting the derogatory label, she says, well, Lord, even we dogs are entitled to some spillover from the master's table. And at that moment, Jesus is shaken out of his tribal presupposition. At first he rejects her appeal, but ultimately he's willing to change and grow. That's the application, to be willing to change and grow. It may make you uncomfortable that I'm describing, interpreting this story this way. Gregory of Nyssa, a church father, he said that sin is unwillingness to grow. If St. Gregory is right, if his thinking on that is right, then Jesus is quite an example of not sinning, and of perfection. Jesus is willing to change and grow. He's allowed an interruption. He's responded to it out of the righteousness of his mind. He is present to the situation. And he's modeled for us our human beingness, that we are human beings. We have a human nature that is limited and frail. And we have a beingness. That's connected to the power of God that runs through all of creation. God's love is surging through us. We are connected to the intelligence of God. As Paul puts it, we have the mind of Christ. We are capable of being present like Jesus was in this moment. And so the application is to ask how about you? When do you find yourself in this situation with power and a just cause until your justification is interrupted? and you're reminded of a higher justice altogether, and you go, that's it, that's right. I agree. I agree with the woman. <laughs> For me, certainly as a parent, because positionally I had authority raising these four girls. Many times I would say no to an offspring's request out of my human nature and not my beingness. As an, as an adult, I have this authority as an adult, so, you know. I can tell you no, and you can't do anything about it. Or a default position that I think I'm responsible to hold the line on this. One time Amy comes to me and says, hey, mom, can my friends and I take your Jeep skiing? She's in college. I just said, no. (laughs) Reflex position, no. You can't. As I'm picturing five kids jamming their boots and their skis into this Jeep. Five kids going through the McDonald's drive up. Spilling coffee, wiping hash brown grease and cheesy biscuit stuff all over the, I'm pick. no, you cannot. And then the next morning I get jerked out of my position. I'm looking out the picture window and kids are arriving in the dark and they're piling in to Amy's 10 year old Subaru. They're piling in. And my heart just started going like that. I should be willing to change and grow and share my Jeep. So, I text, I text Amy and I said, I wish I had loaned you the Jeep. I'm sorry. Do you want to come back and get it? And she texted right back and she said, it's okay, mom. It's okay. It wasn't the right thing anyway. It's a lot of people and we don't need it. We're having fun. And she just tosses that higher law of love right back at me with forgiveness. I mean, isn't that the beauty of mercy? It just took all the pressure out of the situation. And and I said, well, we'll come back, talk to the kids and come back if you want it. You know what she texts next? That's okay, we're already in the McDonald's drive up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I made it through that one. But we have to be willing to change and grow. Parents do this, bosses do it. I mean, imagine all the people, you know, all the caregivers. All genders, coming back to the workplace. You got to get back to the office. We got things to do. We got to meet. We got to be in person. We got to, you know, it's business. But you've got these people who are universal carers in our culture. And it was so much easier to care for our, our grandparents and our parents and our grandkids and our children when there was that flexibility about where we work, you know? So I think bosses, people who get to make decisions, just like Jesus, are we interruptible? Is there a higher law that we have temporarily forgotten all about? But we could remember it and change and grow, and then so much happens. Okay, the final character is the woman. She has a problem because she is an interrupter. The woman is an interrupter. She's an interrupter who creates a new scope for God's healing, though. The disciples are worried about the cross. This woman is already demanding Easter. You get what I'm saying? She's not worried about her own skin. She's not worried about suffering. She's not worried about what this is going to cost her in her life. She is past all that. She knows there's a redemption coming. She knows he has healing. She's insisting on Easter. We don't really expect Jesus to be educated by her. He's a Jewish rabbi with a specialized education. That's not the point of this. But we do see the change of heart, which has been made possible by only her. And she's not going to let him alone in his narrow-mindedness. This kind of interrupting is risky and unsafe. Here's how it goes. She models the whole thing. Her first outcry draws the negative attention of the posse. Most of us stop right there. I know I do. I don't want to be unpopular, I don't want to be attacked, I don't want to be shamed by a big group or loud voices. We stop there. She keeps going. The second appeal is the classic kneeling before power and begging for mercy. Well, that's fun, right? Help me. You have the means to assist me in getting something I want and need from the bottom of my heart. This can happen for people in their work. Happens all the time. We use that phrase, give me a seat at the table. I have some talent to share. Could I please be part of this? Would you include me in this decision? Can I, can I share in the brainstorming? Can we do this together? Or maybe it's a request to share the spotlight. Hey, maybe I could give the presentation this time. I mean, I write it. I'm the one who stays up till midnight. I da, 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 da. Maybe I could be the voice of it. Come on or I think most poignant, is the inclusion of a child. I mean, please include my child in the accessible bathroom, in the healing, in the neighborhood social birthday party, in the cousins getting together and having fun together. Would you include my child? It's just heart-wrenching, but it gets worse. The answer is not only no, we can't include you but it comes with this doubling down that essentially is designed, it's a psychological device designed to make you back off when you're asking for inclusion. And it goes like this, no, because these gifts are for someone more deserving. And that's about the low, that's the low point right there, when you hear that. No, this salary equity that you asked for, we need it to keep Mr. Talented and valuable on the staff. No. It's not just no. It's no. You're not as important. It's terrible. No. Sedona Prince, you can't have the same welcome swag and weight room facilities that are given to the NCAA men's teams. They are not available for the women, and there are reasons for that. You see, it's business. They're more valuable, more popular. More people want to watch that. Whatever the reason, I get it. There is such thing as business, but this is brutal. It's really hard to interrupt power. And then, there's the creative breakthrough. There are creative breakthroughs. When the desperate one has a big idea that dislocates power and God's preferred future breaks into the present, it happens. And that's history, these are historical moments. And I think that our tech team has Sedona Prince's uh, first the viral video that showed the inequity with the NCAA. Can we watch the TikTok?
2: I got something to show y'all. So for the NCAA March Madness, the biggest tournament in college basketball for women, this is our weight room. Let me show y'all the men's weight room. Now, when pictures of our weight room got released versus the men's, the NCAA came out with a statement saying that it wasn't money, it was space that was a problem. Let me show y'all something else. Here's our practice court, right? And then here's that weight room. And then here's all this extra space. If you aren't upset about this problem, then you're a part of it. Guess what, guys? We got a weight room, yeah! We got a ton more dumbbells, look at that. Look at all these racks for squats and whatever you want to do. We got a bunch of bands, look at this, guys. And we got some equipment. Ayo, thank you, NCAA, for listening to us. We appreciate y'all, thank you so much, for real. Yay, guys!
1: Yeah! Good moment, eh? Yeah, that's a fun one. We did March Madness logo. I guess it was possible. I guess it was possible to add four teams to the tournament roster so that the women had 68 and the men had 68. I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible to have better workout facilities. I guess it's just—it's possible. It just took some courage and creativity to get there and a lot of humiliation along the way. So in the story of this woman, her courage and creativity, that's the application right there summon others to new growth in their faith. It's hard, but it's doable and it's beautiful. So what about us? Where is our courage and creativity needed to break down some walls? And are we willing to go through utter humiliation in the process? And this isn't about men or women or anyone else on the gender spectrum or any categories like that. That's not what this is about. This whole story transcends labels, and categories. I'm thinking of our friend and fellow Crossroads family member, Saul Romero. I don't know if you know the Romero. Saul and Nayeli have two beautiful children. They help in the arts and tech and music and all of those kinds of things. And uh, it's been several years, I believe, since Saul was first summoned to court to defend his immigration status and to find out if he would face deportation. And the pandemic slowed down the humiliating process, the difficult process. But about a week ago, we found out that Saul will not be deported. He won his court case. And I know that if the Romeros had the microphone, they would say thank you to the courageous and creative people who wrote letters, who testified, who just stood up to interrupt power and be a part of helping someone get the help that they need and the inclusion that they need. And I'm also thinking of another woman, Lauren Barrow. Uh, You may know the Barrow family is part of our church. It's Carol and Scott Barrow are part of our church. Well, Lauren is their daughter-in-law. Chris Barrow is their son. Chris and Lauren are parents to Cameron Barrow. And Cameron is seven, and for most of his little life, he has lived with a brain tumor. Just more surgeries than you can imagine, more procedures than you can imagine, more of his brain having been removed and repaired than you could ever imagine. But Lauren is a writer. You can read her stuff at um, camshigh5.com. And she writes for inclusion of children in the things that they need, for the mercy of our children who who have a disability and who are absolutely deserving of full access to safe restrooms and good education and love and inclusion and all of those things. And I am so proud of Lauren's writing. Um, I first realized just like everything she was doing on her blog um, from the Instagram posts of an organization that is my favorite on Instagram, scarymommy.com. I'm serious, you write that down, this is the cleverest stuff. And I just thought I would end with that. Scary mommy, bring it on, right? (laughs) Scary basketball player, scary mommy, whatever it takes, right? Scary immigrant, (laughs) We, um, the power of all is a really good thing. Okay, so where are you in this story? Maybe feeling some resistance to the whole idea because of what you could lose? afraid of the cross, afraid of suffering like the disciples, and maybe in need of paying attention, dialing down those emotions, seeing if you can be part of it. Or maybe you're a messiah dislocated with a one-track mind, but you know what, you've got a righteous mind, and you have some power to share, and you can be interrupted, and you can change and grow. Or maybe you are a courageous and creative interrupter, or it's time to step into that role, because you believe in the power of all. That's good stuff. I hope it meant something to you and I hope it calls it forth out of all of us in this next season of our lives together. Well, I am gonna pray for us and our band is gonna come up here. They're actually going to teach us an Easter song, a song about hope that we wanna all know by Easter time. All right, so the band will make their way up and I'm gonna pray for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me pray. And I give you just a little moment. Maybe you have a vision for something in your mind's eye, something that captured your attention in this talk, some application that you want to make in your life, or a situation where you need help, and just call that to mind. Lord God, I thank you for your power to place things in our minds. I thank you that we have the mind of Christ, that our minds are all connected to the one life that undergirds all of creation, that sustains, that holds us all in great love. And may we take this story that's been given to us and may we learn from it and may we grow. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray, amen. It's a great song, isn't it? Would you stand with us? Um, As is our habit, we end with a blessing, and if you would like to physically represent that by holding your hands up like this, you are welcome to do that, and I will pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God cause God's face to shine all over you, and give you peace. Peace enough that you wouldn't be caught up in worries about suffering and you'd be able to be present. And peace enough that you would use your righteous mind to say yes to someone who has a righteous vision. And that you would be brave enough to be an interrupter and to shake things up And to help someone who's been excluded be included in the great mercy of God. And may we all have faith to believe that this is a never-ending source. There is no scarcity. God's mercies are new every morning, and they are for all. May you know all of this in the depth of your soul. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you. What a good word. It is good news. Good news. So, hey, as we head out today, we have a wonderful time to just be together to uh, say thank you, to encourage Katie in this next journey. Reception, the hospitality team has set up. Uh, If you are a parent and your child has been in our kids' programming this morning, please go get them and then enjoy the cake with them, all right? Do not leave your children upstairs for the next 45 minutes with the volunteers, all right? So do that, and we want to see you out there in the atrium. Uh, Make sure to stop by and say hi to Katie. Give her a big hug. Uh, Say hello, tell her a story, uh, all that good stuff. We'll say that again. Give (laughs) Give her COVID, absolutely, whatever you need to do. So, all right, have a wonderful day. Have a great week, everybody.